Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Thanksgiving week, because if I haven't operated my calendar correctly and it is not in fact Thanksgiving, then this episode is about to be needlessly and inaccurately specific. Uh, It's just me this week, but I'm still here to read you a story, and to get us in the holiday spirit, I'm going to give us a few fun facts. Thanksgiving is a wild time of year with a pretty wild history. So, people across all cultures have been setting aside days of Thanksgiving for as far back as historians can find. Though today we think of Thanksgiving feasts, historically these days of Thanksgiving are just as likely to be times of fasting, meditation, prayer, and atonement. In the U.S. and much of the modern Western world, Thanksgiving is celebrated today as a harvest festival, giving thanks for crops and such. But originally, it was just about giving thanks for blessings, for whatever good things life had thrown your way. On December 4th, 1619, English colonists landed in Virginia and celebrated with a feast of Thanksgiving, and the new town's charter decreed that that day would be celebrated annually as a day of Thanksgiving. It was two years later that the pilgrims arrived in Plymouth and had their own Thanksgiving after their first harvest. The 53 survivors of the Mayflower didn't have the supplies they needed to survive, so the local Wampanoag tribe helped them, figuring that the pilgrims would be grateful and volunteer their guns to support the Wampanoag in their struggle against another local tribe. They all celebrated together for three days, though we're not exactly sure which three days, only that it fell within a few days of Michaelmas, which obviously I have to talk about, because I had never heard of Michaelmas before starting to do this research. So briefly, Michaelmas is the day in which Christian churches observe the angels of heaven defeating the and casting down uh, Lucifer. On the old calendar, this happened on October 11th, and apparently on his way down, Satan landed on a blackberry bush. He got pissed and cursed the fruit, and according to some legends, either spit or peed on the bush. So, many people now believe that you're not supposed to pick blackberries after October 11th, unless you want to eat devil pee. 
1789, George Washington declared Thanksgiving a national holiday, but it was sort of a moving target. Uh, The first Thanksgiving was October 3rd. In 1795, it was on February 19th. Then Thomas Jefferson, a few years later, was like, nah, I'm good, and decided not to celebrate at all. And it was a whole on-again, off-again thing until Lincoln said, yes, we will all celebrate on the last Thursday in November from now on. And President Grant uh, signed that into law. Lincoln didn't because, well, famously, he was no longer around to do the signing part. Uh, FDR moved it a week earlier for a couple of years, but then Congress was like, no, last Thursday only, and locked that in as the permanent date of observation in 1942. Uh, Like everything, Thanksgiving is not without its controversy. It is frequently a contentious date in the war of the Christmas creep. And many believe that while having a day to give thanks is a good thing, perhaps the story that we tell of its origin is a little bit tone deaf. Mark Twain wrote in his autobiography, Thanksgiving Day a function which originated in New England two or three centuries ago when those people recognized that they really had something to be thankful for annually, not oftener, if they had succeeded in exterminating their neighbors during the previous 12 months instead of getting exterminated by their neighbors. Thanksgiving Day became a habit for the reason that in the course of time, as the years drifted on, it was perceived that the exterminating had ceased to be mutual and was all on the white man's side, consequently on the Lord's side. Hence it was proper to thank the Lord for it and extend the usual compliments. Atheist groups have criticized its religious connections, civil rights groups, its problematic history, and the religiously conservative have criticized the modern celebration as one of wanton excess instead of truly given thanks. But I'm just glad that it's an excuse to eat pie. This week, I'll be reading for you a Thanksgiving story from longtime and frequent Campfire Classics contributor O. Henry. This story is called Two Thanksgiving Day Gentlemen. Let's start this fire. Two Thanksgiving Day Gentlemen by O. Henry. There is one day that is ours. There is one day when all we Americans who are not self-made go back to the old home to eat saleratus biscuits and marvel how much nearer to the porch the old pump looks than it used to. Bless the day. President Roosevelt gives it to us. We hear some talk of the Puritans, but don't just remember who they were. Bet we can lick them anyhow if they try to land again. Plymouth Rocks? Well, that sounds more familiar. Lots of us have had to come down to hens since the Turkey Trust got its work in, but somebody in Washington is leaking out advance information to them about these Thanksgiving proclamations. The big city east of the Cranberry Bogs has made Thanksgiving Day an institution. 
The last Thursday in November is the only day in the year on which it recognizes the part of America lying across the ferries. It is the one day that is purely American. Yes, a day of celebration, exclusively American. And now, for the story which is to prove to you that we have traditions on this side of the ocean that are becoming older at a much rapider rate than those of England are, thanks to our get up and enterprise. Stuffy Pete took his seat on the third bench to the right as you enter Union Square from the east at the walk opposite the fountain. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years, he had taken his seat there promptly at one o'clock. For every time he had done so, things had happened to him. Charles Dickensy things that swelled his waistcoat above his heart and equally on the other side. But today, Stuffy Pete's appearance at the annual trysting place seems to have been rather the result of habit than of the yearly hunger which, as the philanthropists seem to think, afflicts the poor at such extended intervals. Certainly, Pete was not hungry. He had just come from a feast that had left him of his powers barely those of respiration and locomotion. His eyes were like two pale gooseberries firmly embedded in the swollen and gravy-smeared mask of putty. His breath came in short wheezes. A senatorial roll of adipose tissue denied a fashionable set to his upturned coat collar. Buttons that had been sewed upon his clothes by kind salvation fingers a week before flew like popcorn strewing the earth around him. Ragged he was, with a split shirt front open to the wishbone. But the November breeze carrying fine snowflakes brought him only a grateful coolness. For Stuffy Pete was overcharged with the caloric produced by a super bountiful dinner, beginning with oysters and ending with plum pudding, and including, it seemed to him, all the roast turkey and baked potatoes and chicken salad and squash pie and ice cream in the world. Wherefore he sat, gorged, and gazed upon the world with after-dinner contempt. The meal had been an unexpected one. He was passing a red brick mansion near the beginning of Fifth Avenue in which lived two old ladies of ancient family and a reverence for traditions. They even denied the existence of New York and believed that Thanksgiving Day was declared solely for Washington Square. One of their traditional habits was to station a servant at the postern gate with orders to admit the first hungry wayfarer that came along after the hour of noon had struck, and banquet him to a finish. Stuffy Pete happened to pass by on his way to the park, and the seneschals gathered him in and upheld the custom of the castle. After Stuffy Pete had gazed straight before him for ten minutes, he was conscious of a desire for a more varied feel of vision. With a tremendous effort, he moved his head slowly to the left 
and then his eyes bulged out fearfully, and his breath ceased, and the rough-shod ends of his short legs wriggled and rustled on the gravel. For the old gentleman was coming across Fourth Avenue toward his bench. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years, the old gentleman had come there and found Stuffy Pete on his bench. That was a thing that the old gentleman was trying to make a tradition of. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years, he had found Stuffy there and had led him to a restaurant and watched him eat a big dinner. They do those things in England unconsciously, but this is a young country, and nine years is not so bad. The old gentleman was a staunch American patriot and considered himself a pioneer in American tradition. In order to become picturesque, we must keep on doing one thing for a long time without ever letting it get away from us. Something like collecting the weekly dimes in industrial insurance, or cleaning the streets. The old gentleman moved straight and stately toward the institution that he was rearing. Truly, the annual feeding of Stuffy Pete was nothing national in its character, such as the Magna Carta or jam for breakfast was in England, but it was a step. It was almost futile. It showed, at least, that a custom was not impossible to New Year... <clears throat> America. The old gentleman was thin and tall and sixty. He was dressed all in black and wore the old-fashioned kind of glasses that won't stay on your nose. His hair was whiter and thinner than it had been last year, and then he seemed to make more use of his big knobby cane with the crooked handle. As his established benefactor came up, Stuffy wheezed and shuddered like some woman's over-fat pug when a street dog bristles up at him. He would have flown, but all the skill of Santos Dumont could not have separated him from this bench. Well had the myrmidons of the two old ladies done their work. "'Good morning,' said the old gentleman." I am glad to perceive that the vicissitudes of another year have spared you to move in health about the beautiful world. For that blessing alone, this day of thanksgiving is well proclaimed to each of us. If you will come with me, my man, I will provide you with a dinner that should make your physical being accord with the mental. That is what the old gentleman said every time every Thanksgiving day for nine years. The words themselves almost formed an institution. Nothing could be compared with them except the Declaration of Independence. Always before they had been music to Stuffy's ears, but now he looked up at the old gentleman's face with tearful agony in his own. The fine snow almost sizzled when it fell upon his perspiring brow. But the old gentleman shivered a little and turned his back to the wind. Stuffy had always wondered why the old gentleman spoke his speech rather sadly. 
He did not know that it was because he was wishing every time that he had a son to succeed him. A son who would come there after he was gone. A son who would stand proud and strong before some subsequent stuffy and say, In memory of my father. Then it would be an institution. But the old gentleman had no relatives. He lived in rented rooms in one of the decayed old family brownstone mansions in one of the quiet streets east of the park. In the winter, he raised fuchsias in a little conservatory the size of a steamer trunk. In the spring, he walked in the Easter parade. In the summer, he lived at a farmhouse in the New Jersey hills and sat in a wicker armchair speaking of a butterfly, the Ornithoptera amphoraceus, that he hoped to find some day. In the autumn, he fed Stuffy a dinner. These were the old gentleman's occupations. Stuffy Pete looked up at him for half a minute, stewing and helpless in his own self-pity. The old gentleman's eyes were bright with the giving pleasure. His face was getting more lined each year, but his little black necktie was in as jaunty a bow as ever, and the linen was beautiful and white, and his gray mustache was curled carefully at the ends. And then Stuffy made a noise that sounded like peas bubbling in a pot. Speech was intended, and as the old gentleman had heard the sounds nine times before, he rightly construed them into Stuffy's old formula of acceptance. Thank you, sir. I'll go with ye. I'm much obliged. I'm very hungry, sir. The coma of repletion had not prevented from entering Stuffy's mind the conviction that he was the basis of an institution. His Thanksgiving appetite was not his own. It belonged by all the sacred rites of established custom, if not by the actual statute of limitations, to this kind old gentleman who bad preempted it. True, America is free. But in order to establish tradition, someone must be a repeatant, a repeating decimal. The heroes are not all heroes of steel and gold. See one here that wielded only weapons of iron, badly silvered, and tin. The old gentleman led his annual protege southward to the restaurant and to the table where the feast had always occurred. They were recognized. Here comes the old guy, said a waiter. That blows that same bum to a meal every Thanksgiving. The old gentleman sat across the table, glowing like a smoked pearl at his cornerstone of future ancient tradition. The waiters heaped the table with holiday food, and Stuffy, with a sigh that was mistaken for hunger's expression, raised knife and fork and carved for himself a crown of imperishable bay. No more valiant hero ever fought his way through the ranks of an enemy. Turkey, chops, soups, vegetables, pies disappeared before him as fast as they could be served. 
gorged nearly to the uttermost when he entered the restaurant, the smell of food had almost caused him to lose his honor as a gentleman, but he rallied like a true knight. He saw the look of beneficent happiness on the old gentleman's face, a happier look than even the fuchsias and the ornithoptera amphrasius had ever brought to it. And he had not the heart to see it wane. In an hour, Stuffy leaned back with a battle won. Thank you kindly, sir, he puffed like a leaky steam pipe. Thank you kindly for the hearty meal. Then he arose heavily with glazed eyes and started toward the kitchen. A waiter turned him about like a top and pointed him toward the door. The old gentleman carefully counted out $1.30 in silver change, leaving three nickels for the waiter. They parted as they did each year at the door, the old gentleman going south, stuffy north. Around the first corner, Stuffy turned and stood for one minute. Then he seemed to puff out his rags as an owl puffs out his feathers and fell to the sidewalk like a sun-stricken horse. When the ambulance came, the young surgeon and the driver cursed softly at his weight. There was no smell of whiskey to justify a transfer to the patrol wagon, so Stuffy and his two dinners went to the hospital. There, they stretched him on a bed and began to test him for strange diseases with the hope of getting a chance at some problem with a bare steel. And lo, an hour later, another ambulance brought the old gentleman, and they laid him on another bed and spoke of appendicitis, for he looked good for the bill. But pretty soon, one of the young doctors met one of the young nurses whose eyes he liked and stopped to chat with her about the cases. Now that nice old gentleman over there now, he said, you wouldn't think that was a case of almost starvation. Proud old family, I guess. He told me he hadn't eaten a thing for three days. The End Well, that had characteristic O. Henry irony about it. A sudden sort of turn of circumstance that you don't expect. Very Gift of the Magi. Anyway, that's it for this week. Um, Hey, go ahead and write in and let us know what you thought of that story. How do you feel about O. Henry and his sort of melancholic, witty turns of storyline? I think it's kind of cool, but uh, I also sometimes... I don't know. Sometimes they make me feel sad. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. So write in to uh, Campfire Classics Podcast on any of our social media or go ahead and email 5050artsproduction at gmail.com and uh, let let us know what you thought about that story. Uh, Let us know if you have any Thanksgiving traditions that either you enjoy from uh, a lifetime of of um, experiencing that tradition or that you think it would be fun to get started what's a thanksgiving tradition or any sort of tradition uh that that you want to create from scratch that'd be cool 
Uh, and when you write in, go ahead and use this week's secret passphrase, which is Devil P. That's all for me. I really don't have anything else. So until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Oh, and hey, be nice to the other people you see shopping on Black Friday.